Hi friends, good morning and welcome. Thank you so much for joining us here this morning. I'm Micah, this is Sarah, and we're the lead pastors at the Vine Church here in the Tri-Cities. Hey, exciting things on the horizon. Uh, here we are gathering again online, and <laughs> again. it's been quite a while. Thank Forever. you for hanging in there with us as we've done the best that we can. We're so we're so excited to have mm-hmm. purchased a new building here in January. We're so excited to, to be in the process of moving in, but there are a lot of pieces to put in place. Thank you to everyone that's come out and helped mm-hmm. with different aspects of that project. Uh, the painters show up on uh, Monday. Monday. All sorts of things happening to get this place ready. So we'll have some small group gatherings uh, here in the next couple weeks, and we're hoping by the end of February to be in on Sunday mornings. Uh, so hang in there with us if you have some time and want to come and uh, pitch in a little bit, you're invited to. Please just contact us. We are so, so excited. I am also excited for the sun that we've gotten, a little bit more sun this week. I love springtime. I know it's early to say springtime, but I'm hoping, I'm wishing uh, the warm weather to come. You know, a few weeks ago, we were able to put in our first reservation to go camping. And we love to go camping and we go multiple times in the summer. And I mean, camping, we tent camp. So like we used to backpack, which is even like more hardcore. We don't do that anymore. We tent camp pretty comfortably, Um, except I, I have some memories that I was thinking about this week, especially before we had kids when we were just starting off camping. There was one time specifically when we went camping and it rained and it rained and it rained and I remember laying on the air mattress freezing cold and parts of our of our sleeping bags were damp and it was just kind of miserable (laughs) it's like this is not how camping supposed to be maybe you've had those kind of experiences let us know what's your favorite camping experience and what's your most miserable camping experience let us know in the comments but I remember laying there just being miserable but also recognizing that this was temporary that morning would eventually come and the rain would eventually stop and we would eventually pack up and go home to our nice warm house and so it was difficult but there was a lot of hope because there was an end in sight and we knew that better times were coming Yeah, so we're going to talk about this juxtaposition, uh, challenges in life, Mm -hmm. as well as a hope that we find in Jesus. Uh, So for some time, we've been in the book of Acts, and we've been exploring the story of after Jesus' um, resurrection, the Holy Spirit comes, and thousands of people give their life to Jesus. Uh, Israelite people begin to believe that He is the Messiah, that He is our Savior, and the church begins in Jerusalem, spreads throughout uh, Israel. And then we read recently in Acts chapter 10 and 11, the story of God opening these Israelite people's eyes to the fact that the, the sacrifice that Jesus made, the hope that we are invited to is not isolated to us, the Jewish people, but is an invitation to all the world to know the gift of the Holy Spirit, mm. to know an invitation mm. to new life and to new hope. And the church begins to spread throughout the world. Now, as we continue the story today in Acts chapter 12, Mm -hmm. uh, we're going to zoom back in on Jerusalem, kind of the hub of the church and where it all began to see where also the biggest challenges and threats to the Christian faith begin to arise as well. So today I'm going to start reading in Acts chapter 12. 
It was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter as well. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So we see here at the beginning of this story that Ro the Roman Empire was the dominant power of at the time. And they had placed Herod, they had appointed Herod as king over this region. And so King Herod had his power from Rome, and yet he was ruling in Judea. And so it was to his advantage, political advantage, that is, to also have the approval of the Jewish people. And so he was trying to please the most influential, influential people amongst the Jews, which at this time would be like the Pharisees and the teachers of the law that held those leadership positions. And so he begins to persecute the church and he kills James. Yeah. And you see Herod in pursuit of power, uh, willing to go far outside the bounds of what seems reasonable in this moment, right? You see that he has executed one of the leaders of this new movement and people applaud it. And so he goes for more. We see him here arrest Peter. He's choosing his security and safety within his office over uh, any moral or mm -hmm. thought out solution or goals in this moment and uh, we're not going to go we're, we're not going to make the shift to talk about our politics today here now i'd be happy to have that conversation one-on-one -on -one. Uh, but instead instead just to say i think this is kind of human nature though we seek the approval of other people we seek the applause of others we want to be looked up to we gain power by the way we interact in our relationship and it can be a very dangerous thing and we see herod in this moment uh, engage deeply in this risk of grabbing for power in whatever way he can. And the timing of it is very ironic too. It's during the Festival of Unleavened Bread, which is the week of Passover. And Passover was uh, remembering, celebrating when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt and God liberating the Israelite people from that oppression and slavery. And here are the Israelites who've been conquered by Rome, again, under a, someone else's ruling power and Herod grabbing for power. And he plans to have a public trial um, for Peter, whom he's arrested just to show his power and his might. Yeah. And so as the text continues, Acts chapter 12, this is in verse five, uh, Peter has been arrested um, and uh, he's in prison. He's being held there. And it says that the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The church was earnestly praying. And I just wanted, we wanted to pause and just take this moment in this one little verse to recognize the value, mm -hmm. the importance of a church 
that dedicates itself to prayer. You know, some of the strongest seasons of prayer in my life have been in seasons of struggle. Naturally, we find ourselves drawn into prayer and requests in those seasons of challenge, but I think there's an incredible opportunity and vision for the church, glimpsed here and found throughout scripture, of a church dedicated to praying earnestly in any season. In, in every season. And so in this season, as we find ourselves with challenges with pandemic and politics and all sorts of things as a nation, or even in our own households, we find struggles. Um, it's a season to be praying. But I'm reminded in this text of an earnest, prayerful posture throughout our lives, individually and as a church. Like at the beginning of Acts, when we did Part of the series talking about the church marked by one of them was prayer. They were mm-hmm. devoted to prayer. Absolutely. So the story continues. Peter is in prison and the night before his public trial, uh, Peter's asleep between two guards and he is locked up in chains and an angel of the Lord appears with a bright light shining in his cell. And he uh, nudges Peter and he wakes him up. Wakes him up. And the text says uh, that the angel said, Quick, get up, put your clothes on and your sandals and come and follow me. And so that's what Peter does. He gets up and as he gets up, his chains just fall off his arms. And he follows the Um, angel. He passes the guards that were sleeping on both sides of him. Then he passes the other, the the first guards, and it talks about the second guards. And then he reaches this iron gate and the iron gate miraculously opens in front of him. And he continues to follow the angel as the angel leads him about a block away from the prison. And then the angel disappears. And it's interesting in verse um, nine, it says Peter followed him out of prison, but he had no idea what the angel was. He had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. He was disoriented because it was like, could this really be happening? And I love how Luke, the author of of Acts, describes in detail all the different layers of security that he is walking past. The the 16 soldiers, the chains, the iron gate. It's just to make very, very clear that this was a miraculous deliverance, that God was orchestrating this. When's the last time you woke up from a dream and felt like it was real? Uh, for me, that was last night. Um, I woke up just totally disoriented and confused by what was happening. And then you have to kind of coax yourself back to reality and normalcy and remind yourself of where you were. And Peter woken up in this moment. Uh, it continued to feel like a dream to him because what is happening in this moment? How disorienting. And so the text tells us um, in verse 11 that finally he comes to himself. And now he's standing, what, a block from Mm -hmm. uh, the the gates of this prison. And he's standing there looking around, finally waking up and realizing what a miraculous and amazing moment he has Mm -hmm. just experienced in his life. So Peter heads off to Mary's house where there was a large gathering of people uh, who were praying, is what it says, but we just heard that the church was praying earnestly for Peter specifically. Large group of people praying about Peter and the circumstances that he's in and for the church. And he goes and he knocks on the door. And I love this story. Go back and read it in Acts chapter 12, verse 14 or so. 
um, uh, a gal comes to the door and hears Peter voice, Peter's voice and recognizes it. And she's so excited that she runs back into the house yelling to everyone, Peter has arrived. He's here, leaving Peter locked outside the door. She gets back into this room and starts telling them and they say, no, you're insane. That's not possible. Maybe it's an angel. I don't know. But he's not out there. All the while, Peter's still stuck outside, uh, a fugitive, I guess, and he's still knocking on the door. Eventually, they come back to the door. They open it and they invite uh, Peter in where he sits down with them and tells them about the miraculous things God is doing to accomplish his escape from prison and God's plans for the continuation of this church. You know, when I read this story, part of me just has to chuckle and smile a little bit. How funny is it that here they're praying for Peter and they they leave him outside knocking at the door. And so I have to laugh at that. The other part of me, though, it feels really convicted when I hear this story because, you see, they were earnestly praying for Peter. And I believe they were in earnest. They were honestly concerned and worried and and pleading with God on his behalf. And yet in this moment, they did not expect Peter to show up. And mm-hmm. it reminds me of um, one of those moments that I had as as a teenager I remember it very clearly. Some of you guys know that I grew up in Guinea, West Africa, um, and and we were there. And as a teenager, I remember we had a short-term mission group come and visit us. And so they were staying with us, and we heard a knock on our door. And so we went and answered it, and there it was this young girl who had just this terrible, terrible tumor on her leg. And it was a really difficult, sad situation, and they were asking for help. And so my mom pulled the car around and and we loaded her up and her family into the car. And then this group of people who had come uh, to visit us and, and, and the rest of us gathered around the car, around this young girl and just prayed for God to heal her and prayed for a miracle, a miraculous healing. And as after we were finished, we were standing around the car, we closed the doors and my mom headed off to take her and her family to the hospital. And I remember standing there and there was this quiet moment as we're all looking at the car driving away. And one of our visitors quietly said, oh, no one looked under the bandages to see if her tumor was gone. Mm. And, And then he paused and he thought about it and he said, we prayed for a miracle and then we didn't check to see if God had done a miracle. Mm. And I remember as a teenager, that really struck me like, oh, how, how do I pray? Like, do I really believe that God will do something um, when I pray? It reminds, makes me think of we pray sometimes with our eyes shut, praying without looking to see mm-hmm. what God is actively doing. And so I want to ask us, what do we expect when we pray? And I've seen two extremes. I've experienced two extremes at different times. First extreme is that we pray and we don't expect anything to actually happen. We just pray, but then we we proceed as though we have to take care of everything. And so we proceed um, relying on us. The other extreme is that we expect that God will do exactly what we want. And sometimes in prayers, even demanding that God do exactly what we want. So how is it that we pray? Yeah, we find ourselves in a really fascinating juxtaposition. Uh, scripture tells us um, pray in faith 
and mm-hmm. and with confidence, right? Earnestly pray in faith, and your prayers will be answered. Um, and yet, sometimes we've experienced that God's answer was no, or mm-hmm. God's answer was wait, or God's answer was, I have a bigger plan than you can even fathom and are praying for in this moment, right? And so we find ourselves in this interesting juxtaposition. So how do we pray? Well, um, we'll take a, a page from Jesus' book. Always a good idea as a follower of Jesus. Let's explore how Jesus handled this question. Mm-hmm. And um, so I'm reminded of Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's praying just before he's about to be arrested and then crucified, and he knows what is coming. And he is on his knees praying earnestly, again, that word, but he is um, deep in prayer um, with God. And he says to God, um, take this from me. I do not want to walk through this. I do not want to go through this. He makes clear his um, his position, his desire, his request of God. And immediately after he says, but your will be done. And what I love about Jesus' example here in this moment is that he can clearly articulate, this is what I feel, this is what I understand, this is what I know or what I desire in this moment. However, I submit my will, God, to your will. So your will be done and I will learn to trust and I will learn to walk in whatever comes Mm -hmm. in the future. Yeah. So the chapter concludes by telling uh, the story of King Herod's death. He goes to Caesarea. He is hailed as a god by the people there who have come to speak to him. And in his arrogance and in his thirst for power, he accepts this claim of divinity. And because he accepts this claim of divinity and because he does not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord strikes him down. Yeah, and so it's this fascinating story. It began with power, right? right. He is seeking more right. power. He's received some power from Rome. He's seeking more power and the praise and honor of the people. He gets it, so he goes further down this ugly um, rabbit hole that he's that he's stuck in. And he goes on and on until finally, at the end, we hear them praising him as though he's a god, like worshiping him mm-hmm. as God. And he receives that. This is what... Apparently, he'd been in pursuit of, and he is struck down. And it's this reminder in the text that uh, God's power is greater than the power in the world, and that we seek uh, we, we seek uh, the love of, and the power of, and the experience of a God who is all power. Uh, though the world invites us time and time again, you know, find your power, find your place in these other ways. But we're reminded here that God's power is greater and that God's mission, his plans in this world will be accomplished even in the face of the opposition that the the first century church was facing in this moment. Mm -hmm. And we see at the end of the chapter that the word of God spreads and flourishes even after this great persecution. So We want to zoom out a little bit and look at just Peter and briefly look at some of the big things that happened in his life to to be able to answer this question or maybe a part of this question. How was Peter able to handle this persecution, persecution, this great challenge, and then the even greater challenges that he will um, continue to experience after this? We know a lot about Peter from the Gospels and from his time with Jesus. We know that he was bold and passionate. He was often the first 
to speak, the first to act. In fact, um, in Luke 10, uh, in Luke 9, he was the first disciple to proclaim that Jesus was God's Messiah, that he was the, the Messiah that they had been waiting for. And though, um, Peter, was very bold and it was the first to proclaim Jesus as the Messiah. He was not without his faults. Um, he also very boldly uh, denied Jesus. Jesus predicted that he would deny him three times. And when Jesus was arrested, he does. He denies Jesus three times. And then after Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection, Jesus invites Peter and the other disciples to breakfast on the shore of the lake. And he reinstates Peter three times. And he tells Peter, I want you to take care of my church. I want you to feed my sheep. And then fast forward to Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit comes, Peter receives along with the other apostles, he receives the Holy Spirit and he is a speaker. He's one of the prominent leaders. He becomes a prominent leader in the church. So, so how is Peter able to weather these challenges, able to, to face this persecution? Well, first of all, he had a firm conviction that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus was the Messiah. And he had failed many times, and but he had experienced Jesus's mercy and his grace. He had experienced forgiveness, and Peter was willing to continually put himself out there and engage again and again. Yeah, so inversely, um, we're going to ask this question of ourselves, like, how do we weather difficult times? We find ourselves in difficult seasons of pandemic, We've, uh, in, in the politics and the unrest within our nation. For many reasons, we find ourselves in a, a season that we ask a lot of questions mm -hmm. and we're struggling in many ways. Um, and so uh, similar to the story of Peter in, in this moment, we want to invite us and challenge us based out of our time spent here in Acts today um, to, first of all, find conviction in who Jesus mm -hmm. is and who we are in relation to him. This was the first and primary um uh, conviction that allowed Peter to engage in, in the challenges he faced in the ways that he did. Uh, so conviction in the fact that Jesus is my Savior, He is my hope, and I will follow mm -hmm. Him in this moment. Um, second, we see the church demonstrating this earnesty in prayer. Uh, engaging intentionally in prayer. And we want to invite you to pray with us for our nation, for our community, for our friends and family, for health, for opportunity, for the hope uh, that is found in the kingdom of God that is coming into this world. Let's pray earnestly together. And finally, that posture in prayer, as Jesus demonstrates, is one of humility and of trust. We'll trust mm -hmm. in God, even as we weather difficult storms. Invite you to pray with us. Dear God, we thank you that you are a God of love, that you are a God of mercy and grace. And right now we come before you and we worship you. We ask you to teach us how to weather the challenges that are come at us, Lord, right now. Lord, we ask for your grace and for your love. Lord, we ask for your wisdom you would teach your church, the Vine Church, but also the global church, the church um, at large, Lord, how to respond in love, Lord, how to seek you in prayer. 
and how to approach you with confident humility. God, we love you so much. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So each each week we've been leaving you with a song, something you can reflect a little bit more on. Uh, this week a song by Torn Wells. Um, it's called Hills and Valleys. And uh, it's a really simple acoustic song. It's a piano and a cello. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's some beautiful lyrics. And he's a very talented artist. And uh, the song speaks of you are the God of the hills and the valleys. And you are with me. And it says, on the mountaintops, I'll bow my life mm-hmm. to you. And in the valleys, I'll lift my eyes to you. Pretty cool, beautiful concept. So, friends, I hope you enjoy the song. We hope you have a blessed week. Uh, Thanks for being with us again this morning. Bye, everyone.